0: Have a crack. is, yes, you know. Oh, I say! Brilliant!
1: Wonderful run from
2: Welcome to the 90s Football Hall of Fame show, a podcast brought to you by thefootballfaithful.com. I'm Steve McGovern, and I'll be your captain for this episode. I'm joined by first team regular Peter Henry. How are you, Peter? Evening, lads. And we're also joined by reliable impact sub Anthony Kelly. And how is it going?
3: Not too bad, lads. How are we doing?
2: Ah, not too bad. Uh, Well, the, the Premier League may be back, but every week we will continue to induct a new member into the 90s Football Hall of Fame. And this week's inductee is a real blast from the past.
1: And he goes, kills one in! Fantastic! What a man he is! There can't be many better goal scorers than this fellow anywhere in the world. That's the strike! Wonderful goal! Wonderful Yaboa! Boy do they love him at Gallant Road!
2: We are, of course, talking about Anthony Yeboah, the Ghanaian Galazzo merchant who became a Leeds United legend in the mid-90s. Peter, we've, we've probably talked about uh, Daniel Amakachi, the Nigerian who uh, became the first African to win the FA Cup. But Yeboah was probably the first true African superstar of the Premier League era, wasn't he?
0: Oh, yeah, without a doubt. Amakachi was a good player, but he's probably more remembered for what he did kind of with Nigeria in the World Cup and as a cult hero with with um, with Everton. But, I mean, Tony Oboa was one of the most iconic uh, foreign signings of the kind of mid-90s. We talk about that influx of foreign signings all the time. And, you know, he just absolutely hit the ground running. And as we will get on to, he scored not just a couple of the most iconic goals of the 90s but a couple of the most to this day the most iconic goals in Premier League history just an absolute like the ultimate Premier League king of the Thunder Bastard is the only way to to sum Tony Aboa up when we did the Jurgen Klinsmann pod I would said that like all kids in the 90s went and did the dive you know in after his celebration but another Another thing that happened with Yaboa was that, like every time a, go- a goal was scored in off the crossbar for a good decade after his famous goal against Liverpool, you'd say he Yeboah'd it. You know, uh, that was that was how big of an impact he had. And it was so, like the goal against Liverpool was obviously iconic, but that was even right at the start of like Monday Night Football, and and like that goal happened. Like I love the kit that they wore the, the Leeds, Asics pure white kit. He just looked. Super coolness and, uh, yeah, just an absolute beast of a striker. Like, thunder bastards off either foot galore. So, um, we'll get into the goals um, later. But I think one of the things with Tony and why he's so fondly remembered, is because he blew up as, essentially, the ultimate star of the Premier League for a little period. Because if, if you watch his showreel, his top five goals in English football or for Leeds, The crazy thing is they all happened within the space of a month. But Ant, Tony Yaboa is is a
2: name, I feel like I've heard it so many times, but I'm actually not sure I know a huge amount about him beyond the goals, really.
3: Yeah, you're right. He kind of became famous, uh, synonymous with those goals that Pete's talking about, which are absolutely iconic. But the guys uh, had a very, very interesting career, real trailblazer um, in what he did. Was spotted the AFCON by a German second division side and then plucked for Eintracht Frankfurt and had some real, real success in the Bundesliga. If, if you look at his goalscoring record for Frankfurt in those, uh, in those seasons, he was there in the early 90s, he was phenomenally prolific. and Obviously, Leeds were looking for somebody to like fill the void up front. They, they were struggling for like a bit of a talismanic forward, really. Obviously, they saw Cantona at United and they'd, they'd stagnated, really, uh, in their post-title winning uh, era and sort of uh, Yeboah came in I, I don't again we, we spoke about this at length on the pod he probably wasn't well known to about 90% of Premier League fans at the time because obviously this wasn't that kind of coverage that there is now but you know it was one hell of an acquisition for a guy because he, t- he took Frankfurt to, to the cusp of the title uh, in the Bundesliga it was a really famous title race between them and St- uh, Stuttgart and he, I think they missed out by just a handful of points in the end but it was, it was Yeboah's goals which basically fired them to within a whisper of the title in Germany. So he, he comes to Leeds and, and really lights it up. I think it was eight goals he scored in his first eight games for Leeds, which was, you know, considering he, was, he admitted himself, he was struggling with the Premier League, with a change of pace, change of climate. And, and, you know, that's a phenomenal return. And it is, you know, as Pete said, he did, he did light up over quite a sort of short period, but he, he was so prolific. And scored all kinds of goals as well. Obviously famous for those absolute sort of, you know, thunderbolt strikes that he had. But he was also quite a, you know, composed striker and also very, very instinctive. Uh, a lot of his goals are what you'd sort of associate with, the, the kind of Robbie Fowlers, the Ruvan roys of the world. Um, You know, he is very much the poacher as well as the uh, the absolute screamer merchant as well. And I think the Leeds fans just sort of fell in love with him. He said he fed off the their sort of enthusiasm, which kept him going in those sort of formative weeks. He was in West Yorkshire. And, um, yeah, he made one hell of an impact and certainly one of the most interesting characters of his era.
0: Yeah, and you were saying he was a trailblazer. and Like, he was one of the first African players to play in, in German football. And he had to put up with the kind of disgraceful chance from the sidelines. But, like, he came through it, like you said, absolutely pro- prolific. And he had such an impact there that that he was made captain and he was in the same team as JJ Ococcia was at Frankfurt at the same time as well so yeah. I wish I there had to be German football coverage in the 90s because they would have been a fun team to watch and um, I think he fell out with with your Heynckes actually um, and that's why he ended up with Leeds but I was looking for videos last night of interviews with Tony Aboa, because instead of just watching goals when we're doing the pods I like to kind of you know hear the players speak themselves and Match of the Day did a special for their 50th anniversary, and uh, they went to Ghana to talk to Tony yaboa And it's just the human element that the the bits you don't realise behind some kind of iconic strikes is that he grew up and he still is to this day a, a massive Liverpool fan. And That's he right. said his he said his like um his hero was John Barnes, you know. So when the, at Elland Road on that faithful Monday night football. And um, He went out in the warm-up, and he said he was just starstruck. He was looking at Ian Rush, John Barnes, and he was like, right, I'm going to have to do something special tonight. And uh, <laughs> obviously, you know, you know, he did. There's just so much to love about that goal. Rod Wallace wins a header against, you know, five foot nothing. Rod Wallace wins the header to put it up in the air. And then just because it's coming down from such a height, and he kicks it back up into the air. Like, the power that, it, that is required is, is just phenomenal, like. They, you know, they don't have footballers don't have ties like they did in the nineties anymore. And all this, you know, monitoring body fat and all that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, just the, the height that goes up and in off the crossbar and poor David James is just starstruck in the goal. You know,
3: if you look at the goal and the build up as well, he's actually again you talk about like you know his instincts. He's on the move. As the head is knocked down in front of him. you, know, he, he it's, his awareness is fantastic, in the build up to that goal It's not. You know, like we were talking about uh, Stuart Pierce the other day, weren't I mean, we? Like a lot of people would look at certain goals, and go, "Oh, he's just he just hit that hard and and sort of got lucky with the strike." But it's his instinct and his timing and his the, the finesse of his touch to to knock it back up as well. Such an iconic goal, absolutely brilliant.
2: Do you remember at the time? Ant, I mean, uh, our regular listeners will know that you're a, a Liverpool fan. Do you do you remember? When he scored that famous goal,
3: yeah, I, I was as Pete said, it was Monday night football, and I, I was I was getting to the age where I I, I was I was watching it with me old man, and it basically, m- my dad's generation just just hated that early nineties Liverpool team. There was there was not a good player in it, so it, you know you sort of almost get brainwashed at every play replay for Liverpool w- w- was abject and awful in that period. And actually, if you look at that goal, there's not a great deal that anybody could have done about it, really. I mean, OK, you, you could argue he could have been closed down, but I don't think that there, there could have been that much sort of perceived danger from the Liverpool defence. I remember uh, David James himself was going through horrific patch of form at that time. Uh, he was still trying to bed down as uh, Liverpool's number one, but there was nothing he could do about that strike. And uh, I don't think even me old man could have complained about it because it was such a great effort.
0: But yeah, uh, yeah
3: it sort of silenced everybody, you know.
0: It was the Puma Kings, I reckon. <laughs>
3: yeah. yeah, it there, was uh, iconic. <laughs>
2: there, there was a kind of look on, on you know, any time he scored a goal like that, Peter. There was that kind of like look on a goalkeeper's face, and just like, for fuck's sake, like, I'm, <laughs> oh, yeah. what am I meant to do here? Like, yeah, and they right. just—they yeah. all had that particular look on their face, just like of of like i am useless here i might as well be sitting at home
0: yeah the one against wimbledon actually that he he scored so that's what i was saying at the start like his most iconic goals there's there's that one for liver against liverpool but a couple of weeks before right at the start of the season 96 97 season Leeds playing at, at uh, West Ham and a ball goes over the top and there's two you know the goal against Liverpool was with his right foot you'd assume that fellow was right footed but when you're watching dribbling a lot he dribbled with his left and a ball goes over the top against West Ham and it sits up for him and he hammer like he he's only about I'd say 15 yards out. But, like, the goalkeeper nearly falls backwards after the ball has hit the net. It's just passing them so quickly. And it was one of them kind of square nets they used to ha- have. So it goes right into the roof of it brilliantly. Like, it's just a pure power. Like, there's a whole generation of miter footballs that still wince when they hear the name Tony Eboa. Um, because he just, when he connected with him off, off either foot, it was just forget about it. And like you said, if you're a goalkeeper, it was just a hopeless task. But so he scores the one against West Ham in August. A week later, he bangs the one in against Liverpool on Monday night football. A week later, he scores a, a hat trick uh, against Monaco. And the last of the hat trick, he gets the ball from a throw in uh, out out kind of out wide. He cuts inside and, and right from the edge of the box he just a shit pinger into the into the top ends. And then of course
2: And that was left footed as well, of that course. Was wasn't
0: it? As well. And it like, was
2: and that was like a really nicely it wasn't so much power, it was like really nicely placed into the fire kind of side netting.
0: Yeah, exactly. So it shows that we might be like broken record, saying, oh, this player is two-footed and that player is two-footed, but it's it's a common characteristic of a lot of the top players, especially strikers, you know? And then, yeah, the, the one against Wimbledon, which actually won goal of the season, uh, Liverpool, the Liverpool one didn't, it was, it was the Wimbledon one, but he won the goal of the month, I think, in August and September, and it wasn't until Gareth Bale in 2013 that somebody won it two months in a row, like, but the, the one against Wimbledon is just you know that he catches that in the half volley and again the goalkeeper is just like what is the point here but just thunders in off the crossbar bounces up bounces down and like he's nearly into the fans and the ball still like it <laughs> up and down like it's just and I, it's just so iconic like i said i just love the whole i love that that all white kit that Leeds has i know they you you know they they always wear all white but like this was just white on white. There wasn't anything else going on. And the uh, the Puma Kings and the Thunderbrass was just magical. Yeah, I think when you when you
2: think back to that kit, you only think of Tony Eboa. I actually can't, I can't in my own head envisage anyone else playing in that kit. But yeah, I mean, it, it's funny between the two goals, actually, he himself has said that he preferred the Liverpool one. And obviously this has been kind of like one of those debates of like which Tony Eboa goal was better, was the goal against Liverpool or the goal against Wimbledon. For my money, Like, I can understand why he would go for the Liverpool one, and that's the one Sky Sports have ranked number one of all his goals. But I feel like the Wimbledon one is, like, just more spectacular. You don't see that happening. Like, I can't think of a a single other goal like the Wimbledon one, like where you said, like, it comes off his knee and his foot and his chest and then all of a sudden takes it on the half volley and just, like, bounces all over the place before going in the net. And which one uh, do you prefer?
3: Well, obviously the goal against Wimbledon because it was against Wimbledon, not Liverpool.
2: (laughs) uh, (laughs)
3: No, but I I know what you mean. Which one do
2: you think think is which one do you think is better then?
3: I actually think uh, it's the Wimbledon goal just shades it purely on like an aesthetics basis. The touch off is I love that touch off is fine, and then as the two Wimbledon players come towards him, he just sort of absolutely ruins them and he opens up that space in front. And the way he hits it, you know, in off the bar and like it thumps down off the bar into the back of the net the reaction of the Leeds players, that he, he's just gone and done it again. And like, he must've been doing that sort of stuff in training and it almost become like habitual, you know, almost. And like the way they mobbed him after the goal, it's like they just knew how good he was. I think the the Liverpool volley was sensational, the way he hit it. But the Wimbledon goal for me just shades it based on the aesthetic quality of the uh, the build-up to it. Do
0: you know what? I actually think, I, I, I'd agree that the, aesthetically, the Wimbledon one is better. But... Obviously, he has that Liverpool connection, being a fan. But I think a lot of footballers, if they scored them themselves, would prefer the Liverpool one for the reason that a lot of front players will always tell you the hardest thing to do is finish when you have time to think. You know, a lot of players you'd say, oh, he's no good when he has time to think. That Wimbledon one, it just flowed. There was a little bit of luck kind of way. It, it kind of hit his knee and fell into his path, and he didn't even have to think. It just sat up, and all he had to do was, was, was twack it, you know? But obviously, I'm not saying it was easy, but I'm just saying he didn't have to think too much. It was just the way the ball fell and boom, we all know when a ball roll bounces in front of you like that sometimes, the only thing you can do is hit it. But with the Liverpool one, it came down from such a height. He had to concentrate, concentrate, concentrate and then unleash the strike. I actually think the Liverpool one was a harder one to score. Yeah, I'd agree with
2: that. Interesting. I don't know if I agree just because he was closer to the goal when he received the ball. But I do think the Liverpool one is a cleaner strike. Like the way he just hits it first time and it, and again, it comes in off the crossbar. Like it's, I mean, to be fair, like both unbelievable goals and both of them are in the conversation for greatest Premier League goal of all time. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, so not true. bad considering as well. They were, <laughs> like you said, back to back months and the fact that they were scored so close together is just crazy. I mean, the Wimbledon one is funny because I think this is something I pointed out before in an article is that Carlton Palmer scores. An unbelievable goal in that wimbledon game but obviously not a soul remembers it because <laughs> because of the tony yeboah goal so yeah and and you mentioned peter earlier about how like you know people call it yeboah and you know having a type of goal named after you is just obviously the ultimate kind of compliment <laughs> as, a, as a striker you know when people refer to it as the yeboah but i mean he he scored 32 goals in 66 appearances in all competitions, uh, which is you know almost a one in two record, which is actually kind of mirrors his career. I mean, in total he scored 189 goals over 415 appearances, so that's just under a one in two record. So he was v- quite consistent, and it's it's weird how he's such a beloved figure and a cult hero, and he only made 42 Premier League appearances.
0: But it, it like you said, Steve, he scored two goals that are still <laughs> talked about to this day, and. Grown up in the 90s, you know, just basically, if you had a football magazine, the kind of rule of thumb was if a striker scored one and two, he was absolutely top class. Obviously, that's all been obliterated in the modern day with Messi and Ronaldo scoring ridiculous numbers. But that was kind of the, you know, that was the standard. You were top class if you scored one and two. and. Like you said, he did that throughout his career in the Bundesliga and in the Premier League. Like he only made eighteen appearances in his first season, and then he made twenty-two in the second. He scored twelve goals in both in both seasons. Supposedly he used to come back from international duty with, with with kind of well, niggling injuries, let's say. That didn't really help his cause. But it was a real pity actually he, he didn't hang around for longer because he just had he just had so much to offer. You know, he could have Like, as as Ant was saying at the start, Leeds were really crying out for somebody to love, for for an attacking player to love at that stage, Leeds fans, because, you know, we talked about it in the Gary McAllister pod, um, Leeds had won the league before the Premier League formed, and then one of the worst title defences ever, I think, afterwards, and they were just lacking a front man, and uh, he just arrived in the Premier League, stole our hearts, stole Leeds Leeds fans' hearts. It's hard to talk about Tony Aboua and just not revert back to them them goals. You know what I mean? Because they're just they're just so vivid in the mind.
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, like, okay. Well, here's a couple of other things to talk about. I mean, in '96, he was Leeds Player of the Year. I mean, no surprise there. He was the second foreigner to score a league hat trick in England after Eric Cantona, of course, uh, when he scored against Ipswich Town. And he ended up having three hat tricks in total while with Leeds. But uh, as you mentioned, there he did have a few niggly injuries. Based on, on reports, like looking back from that time, you know, it, it does seem as if it, it hampered his game. So it, it seems a strange question to ask, Ant, but did we see the best of Tony about while he was in England?
3: Well, he was certainly in, in red hot form for a, a significant period of his Leeds career. So consistent in front of goal. it was, I think he was, was he 30 when he signed for Leeds? Well, 29, 30. So he was, he'd, he'd been around for a while. So probably didn't get to see you know, in his peak, peak powers. But um, certainly, you know, what Leeds got out of him, you know, he helped them get back into the top six. He got them to a League Cup final, that famous night in Monaco that Pete mentioned earlier. So I think Leeds certainly got the the money's worth in terms of memories. I think it would have been, it would have really solidified his... um, his sort of reputation is one of the, one of the all-time Premier League greats if he'd hung around a bit more because he went to Hamburg after Leeds and scored 30 goals in 100 games as he was in his late 30s. So he still had a bit of you know a bit of mileage left in him. Had he perhaps stayed at Leeds or shunted onto another club and won a cup, uh, I think one of the reasons why he is not regarded so highly regarded you know to other fans outside of Leeds and some Bundesliga supporters is that he didn't win much in his career. And I think had he had he won a bit more, had he been a, you know behind a few more successful teams, he may have been more fondly remembered because he, he'd have been a fan favourite anyway. I'm certain of that. He was such such an iconic footballer, like scored so many famous goals, such, such ability on the ball as well. So that I've no two, I sort of no qualms about that. But I, d- I definitely think we uh, we got a good look at him in England. Definitely, uh, definitely a shame he never stayed for longer.
0: Do you know it's funny when he went back to Hamburg, he got done for tax evasion. That's right, uh, yeah. For, because he said that yeah, I don't know. I think it was when he was playing for Frankfurt. They were paying all his wages into an account in Ghana and and not paying tax on them. But yeah, I'm pretty sure like that money was just resting in Tony's account. He did not (laughs) did no wrong wrong at all. But like you were saying, Steve, as well that sometimes you know you've said it a few times. You're right. Sometimes a great goal in a game can be completely overshadowed. But I, I completely forgot as well that. The goal against Monaco and also the goal against Wimbledon, they were actually part of Patrick's,
2: yeah, it's crazy, yeah they, I mean they, uh, but they, I mean they were just so spectacular that they just kind of override in your memory I mean in nineteen ninety seven then I mean George Graham comes in, and I mean we've talked about George Graham before, <laughs> the type of person he was, <laughs> and of course the 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 term you see all the time when he comes in in this case and doesn't get along with. Uh, Tony Yeboah and there's a quote clash of personalities I mean it's always a clash of personalities with George Graham I mean he's definitely one of those players we wish we had seen a lot more of isn't he because uh, it just seems a shame that after two years I mean he's he's like their star player and then George Graham comes in and he has to ruin it for everyone by sending him <laughs> off to Hamburg
0: yeah it's, it's kind of like getting your stripes as a 90s as a talented 90s attacking footballer have you fallen out with George Graham yeah, I fell out with George Graham. Oh, yeah, he's a top player. He's a top player. <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, I, I suppose what the pity is that, like, no one else came in from Steve. Because, like I said, he, he still had an, an awful an awful lot to offer. So, like, I, I won't lie. I can't remember at the time in 1997 if there were any other English clubs sniffing around from Um I can think of plenty that, that would have been better for having Tony Oboa in the team. Um, we would have been happier as fans. Maybe he went... To, he, you know, he wanted to go back to Germany. He liked it there. I'm not really 100% sure. But, um, yeah, when you think of the impact he had over over two seasons, basically, it's hard not to feel that we're slighted, slightly cheated that we, we didn't see him for too too long. But he didn't come to Europe. I, I think he was well into his 20s by the t- time he even came to Europe. So as Ant said, he was kind of, you know, in his early 30s by the time he left Leeds as well. So um, it's it definitely a pity.
2: Yeah, I think he was he was 28 or 29 when he joined Leeds. And then, yeah, so a couple of years later, he would have been about 31, I'd say, when he left. I mean, I suppose the thing with George Graham is around the same time, Carlton Palmer also left Leeds. And in a recent interview that he did, Palmer claims that basically, and this is only in relation to Palmer, not Yeboah, but that essentially he wanted to make his mark on the, on the dressing room. So he picks out somebody like, and he did this with Palmer and basically was like, right, you're gone. Got rid of it, even though he was a talented player. And apparently, according to Palmer, he didn't want to send him to another top club or club of similar kind of stature to lead. So that's why Palmer ended up going to Southampton, because they were kind of struggling down at the bottom of the league. So, <laughs> so basically, George Graham didn't want to look the fool by selling Palmer to another good team and then Palmer doing well there and making him look foolish. So I kind of assume that the Tony Ovo thing might be the same. He says, here's this star player. I don't know if he's the character I can handle. So I'm going to get rid of him to show who's boss. But I'm also going to sell him off to Germany because I don't want him scoring goals for any other team. So that's just a theory on my part, of course, only speculating. But I mean, I, I think it would kind of fit with what we know about George Game and those and those stories. But yeah, I, I think, Ant, you mentioned earlier, like his, his impact in Germany was, was huge. Obviously, that came with with, uh, Eintracht Frankfurt, but he was one of the main figures in changing attitudes in that country towards racism. And I think that's a hugely understated part of his legacy, because, I mean, people might not know that when he started playing for them, his own fans were booing him. Mm. And it was only a a, a campaign, an anti-racism campaign alongside Anthony uh, Buffo, who was... The first African player in the Bundesliga and and Senegal striker Suleiman Sane, you know, and a very effective campaign. I think that turned attitudes around, you know. That that should be the thing that we kind of should remember him for, you know, on top of the amazing goals he scored.
3: Again, it's it's the age, the era before social media, and I, I think. The, the, the kind of things that were going on then would have been all over the world now as news, and obviously it was a completely different time. Obviously, no excuse for the the appalling racism that he that he suffered, but um, it was clearly like a, a massive barrier he had to get over. And it, yeah, you you mentioned the other two players, Sonny and Buffo. and um, the, the the three of them penned an open letter, which obviously got picked up by the press and the media, and there was this huge groundswell of of good feeling behind them, behind them sort of penning this really articulate and passionate letter. Just basically saying, I did, one of the quotes ended up as a, on a mural outside Frankfurt stadium. It was, um, we are ashamed of everybody who screams against us. Um I think it was Yeboah's actual quote at the time. So it clearly, you know, resonated with a generation of possibly younger supporters who were coming through. Obviously, was, I was looking at Yeboah's record, I think across two, Seasons in the middle of his career. Frankfurt, he scored something like 50 goals in, uh, across two seasons. So clearly, his form and his profile within the team massively helped. But obviously, there was a huge sort of swell and sort of change in opinion. Sané himself, um, who's actually Leroy Sané's father, was fined by the German FA for uh, assaulting a journalist because the journalist asked him some racially charged, loaded questions. I think Sané actually ended up headbutting this journalist.
2: Yeah, he and did. No, he headbutted him yeah. after the journalist said something about his his wife, which is his just his wife
3: like... no sooner had the no sooner had the fine gone out. I think it was Nordemberg he was playing for. They, they came out, didn't they, and said, Well, don't worry about that, we'll pay for your fine. And yeah, the manager it's... said to Sane, you, you shouldn't have headbutted him, you should have killed him. So I think there was there was clearly like, you know, a lot of sort of solidarity and unity with these players who were very brave for what they were doing at the time, you know. The first of the kinds Outriders For for what would become Like you know Generations to follow them
2: Yeah and he was He was a two time Golden boot winner Which is, is amazing When you think about it Like he was the top scorer Two years in a row That gave it that Added impact That he was just Such a good footballer And he just kind of Smashed through all those Racial barriers really
0: Yeah becoming captain Is also a big thing At the club That tells you more Just Well speaks more Than just of an ability as a footballer, it says a lot about about a player's character as well. A lot of the time, I just saw yesterday as well. You like this, and Jurgen Klopp is a massive fan of him. Like he says that he he rates Tony Oboa's time in the Bundesliga and his Eintracht Frankfurt time. He put he puts him in the same bracket as Gerd Muller.
3: Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, yeah, so very like, interesting. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I remember reading that same piece actually when it came out because there's a, a whole book on on African footballers coming out soon and Jurgen Klopp was interviewed for it and that was what kind of uh, pointed me in the direction of this where he says that his impact was massive and it was something that I'd never really um, heard of or understood and and like I said, we, we hear a lot about the goals but we don't hear enough about this kind of stuff and I think really, you know, uh, hopefully now more people will get to learn about it through this podcast now and, and they'll, there's some good pieces out there and people will go and and find them but i mean obviously it's you know not just a great goal scorer but a, a phenomenal uh, person as well and yeah absolutely and i think that's why he he definitely is is more than deserving of his his place in the 90s football hall of fame And
3: without shadow of i think if he was playing in nowadays could you imagine his worth i mean it's 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 always something that struck me when we've been doing the research for some of these players like nowadays, you, you can put together a montage of like a fair to Midland player and make him look like Pele. You know, Jaboa was in the Bundesliga for a team that was challenging for the league and, you know, up there. You know, Eintracht Frankfurt is a massive club in Germany. And he, he was banging goals in left, right and centre. Could you imagine if there was a young lad in, in Germany at, at the moment scoring with his goal ratio? I mean, Pete rightly said before, that ratio of one and two back then was the benchmark for top players. And Yeboah was doing that right the way through. You know, 96 goals in 223 Bundesliga games it is a wonderful return across quite a prolonged career. And obviously, his it time at Leeds, he's an absolute icon of the 90s. And it, it's one of the great shames that we never got to see more of him in the Premier League
0: yeah I, I just love the fact he now owns a, a big hotel in uh, in ghana called Ye yeah. how cool is that
3: <laughs> 77 quid a night in it please.
0: <laughs> <laughs> he could have called it he could have called it you thunder bastard <laughs> yeah. yeah good marketing <laughs> The thunder bastard in <laughs> yeah in off the bar <laughs> yeah there you go
2: <laughs> right up next we've got a quiz this quiz is brought to you by football index you can get a 20 pound bonus when you sign up for a new account just use the offer code ff20 now lads we're back to 90s questions this week you know the rules i'll ask a question you say your name to buzz in you have 10 seconds to answer then and then uh, obviously whoever has the most correct answers at the end wins so are we ready uh, we have five questions here and i might sprinkle in a couple of bonus questions as well just to make it more interesting <laughs> question one which 90s footballer was the first to reach 500 Premier League appearances? Was it Mark Schwarzer, Gary Speed or Saul Campbell? Peter. Oh, Ant. Oh, and I think you got there just ahead.
3: Yeah, um, I might be totally wrong, but I'm going to go for Schwarzer. Yeah.
2: yeah, Peter knows you got it wrong. Peter, what's the answer?
0: Gary Speed.
2: Gary Speed is the correct answer. It's 1-0, Peter. Question two. In the 93-94 season, how many goals... Did Swindon Town concede? Peter. Go ahead, Peter. 100. 100 is correct. Yeah.
0: 100? Oh, my God. Yeah,
2: on the button. I think they're the only team to concede 100 goals in the Premier League era.
0: I'd say so, they were uh, almost celebrating when the 100 one went in. Forever remembered. <laughs> <laughs>
2: At that stage, yeah. <laughs> right, question three. It's 2-0 to Peter. How many league goals did Michael Owen score in the 99-2000 season? Peter. At- Peter, go ahead.
0: 18.
2: That is incorrect. Oh,
0: he, he 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 definitely won it two years in a row with 18 goals I think. Yeah. I I,
3: I thought it to... was 18 as well. That was yeah, that's what I was yeah. getting, um yeah. what 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 season was it, today? sorry? 1999-2000.
2: How
3: many goals did he score that year? Um I'm going to go for he, he didn't score that many four, 20. goals. I I'm, I I'm, yeah, I'm going to go for 70, 70, uh, 20. Yeah, 20.
2: That's the incorrect answer, Right.
0: And I said he never scored twenty. I don't think. No, he <laughs> did a couple of times. I think. No, not not in the prem. I'm pretty sure that's something that's kind of held against him. Apart from being an absolute boring bastard, but have <laughs> uh,
3: yeah. being been a knob. Yeah.
2: <laughs> no, he scored uh, eleven goals. Oh what? Yep, eleven goals, and that's in, in Premier League goals now. Yep, in uh, twenty-seven appearances.
3: you have always better.
2: <laughs> right, question four. Who was Spurs' top goal scorer in the 1998-99 Premier League campaign? Peter. Peter, go ahead.
0: Leslie Ferdinand. Yeah, big Les.
2: Les Ferdinand is the incorrect answer. Ah! Oh,
0: shit.
3: I was going to go that. Yeah, it's not.
2: I don't think it's an obvious answer.
3: Um, 98-99, sorry, did you say?
2: Yeah.
0: Um, Is it someone like Chris Armstrong?
2: It is not Chris Armstrong.
0: Can I have another, can I have another guess, even though it's not, um, doesn't
2: count? You, you, you can have a guess, but it won't count towards your score. Stefan Everson. Stefan Everson, Iverson, whichever way you want to pronounce yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, is, I have no idea how it's pronounced, but anyway, uh, is the correct answer, in fact. <laughs> I'll give yes. you a chance to, a bonus point. How many goals did he score? 15.
0: 14. P-
2: oh, Guys, you're so close. It was 13.
0: Oh, well, I won because I got
2: 14. <laughs> <laughs> right. Question five. Still 2 0 to Peter. What was the name of the stadium in which Derby County played before Ant. moving in 1997? And go Ant. ahead.
3: The baseball ground.
2: Baseball ground is the All correct right. answer. It is now 2 1. And there is a bonus point, so you can equal it up. And if you can tell me the name of the ground they moved to. Uh,
3: um, yeah, uh, they moved to Pride Park.
1: That's five, just, five. Hold
3: on, that's. <laughs> <laughs> What's up?
2: <laughs> yeah, like that makes you? it two all and I'm out of questions. I'm so sitting a...
0: here like a goalkeeper after I'd seen a Tony Abbott thunderbaster go by them.
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh well, are we are we accepting a draw, please?
0: No, we're not. Never, never <laughs> play for the draw. <laughs> 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 you need to get another questions, Steve.
2: How many England B caps did Carlton Palmer make in his career? Peter, go ahead, Peter. Four. And do you have an answer?
3: Um, the B caps were were dying to death, weren't they? Um, I'd say five.
0: Only has like twenty five or something.
2: Well, uh, he made he made all his England B appearances in uh, nineteen eighty nine. Peter, if the question had been is under twenty one. Appearances you would have been correct He made 421 appearances Scored one goal Uh, But he did make 5 England B appearances (laughs) (laughs) That makes it 3-2 to Ant Who's the winner this week
0: By the slimmest of margins An an asterisk beside that win Asterisk Up the asterisk Come on
2: (laughs) So uh, that's the end of our episode Anyway Uh, If you enjoyed our show Then please take a moment To give us a 5 star review On Apple Podcasts Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. We're at Faithful underscore for more football content. Uh, Thanks a million for joining us, lads. Thank you, Peter.
0: Thanks,
3: lads.
2: And thank you, Ant. Yeah, nice one, lads. Enjoyed that. Granted, we're off. Uh, I think the game is just about to kick off, so we're off. Thank you.